0: Grab your Bibles, and if you want, we're going to hit a few different places, but our focal passage today will be in John 17, if you want to turn there. I am a child of God, amen? And what a, what a great song to sing, a lyric to sing, as we are going to talk today about being a part of this family. Um, Being a child of God, uh, just in case you were wondering, you are not an only child. God didn't only have one kid. So sometimes we we live that way, acting like we're the most important kid in God's family, forgetting that we're surrounded by lots of brothers and sisters. We're going to dive into that a little bit today. We're in the middle of this sermon series called Healthy Habits, and we are walking through the core values of Heritage Community Church. In case you're new or a guest, you didn't know the name of this church, that's, that's who we are. We're the Heritage family. And 12 years ago when we started this church, we put together these six core values and they have not changed. So, whatever that means, I think hopefully that means that they were spirit-led, um, these were biblical, they were truthful. And that 12 years later, they are still important for us to say, these are the ways we want to define ourselves as the heritage family, okay? So the first week, we talked about intimacy with God, the core value, intimacy with God. And each core value, we kind of have a question that goes along with it. It's kind of a question for encouragement or accountability, kind of a place to check and see how you're doing in that core value. And the question for intimacy with God is, do I know God more intimately today than I'm yesterday? Not that there is not going to be tough times in your journey. There may be times where you feel like, I definitely don't. Love God today more than I did yesterday. There are these, these up and downs. But generally speaking, over the course of your life with Jesus, do you know him more today than you used to? Are you growing spiritually? Are you growing closer to him? Intimacy with God. The second week, uh, Melvin spoke to us about the core value of family. And the question is, after God, is family my highest priority? Whether you're single, whether you're a couple with no kids, whether you have kids, whether you're a grandparent, whatever it is, God's given us a responsibility in our homes to take care of our families and to make them a priority, especially as it's concerned of bringing them up in the ways of the Lord. Number three, last week we talked about people matter. How do I treat people in my sphere of influence? If God says people matter, not just some people, but people, all people, then shouldn't all people matter to me? And today, number four, we're gonna look at the core value of authentic community. Our key question for this core value is, am I in a small group for accountability, encouragement, and spiritual growth? This is my favorite question of the core values because it's very simple. (laughs) It's a yes or no answer. Um, My hope today is that when we finish this conversation about authentic community is that you will be able to answer definitively yes or no. I am either in a small group or not for encouragement, accountability, and spiritual growth. And if yes, fantastic. And if no, then I hope that you will leave here looking for that group today. Um, Now, I don't want this to stress you out, but just like the last few weeks, we've been starting every week with kind of a quiz, okay? These questions come from our spiritual growth assessment tool. Ms. Sheila put this together years ago, and the questions are based on our six core values. So we're going to ask the questions today that are based on authentic community. They're in your notes if you got a note. If you didn't grab one of those notes, you should start doing that on Sundays. But if you didn't, that's okay. Just jot it down in your journal. Grab a pencil. And... Um, assess yourself on a scale of zero to four. Zero meaning no, never, I never do that. One, occasionally. Two, making some progress. Three, often. And four, most of the time. Okay, so we'll go through these questions one at a time. I'm not gonna call anyone out and ask them for their answers, okay? Um, Ainsley, I wanna see your answers this afternoon. But for the, for the purpose of our time today, this is just for you. In fact, if you do this all six weeks, then you'll have a pretty good assessment of where you're at with all six core values, okay? Number one, I am the same person in private that I am in public. I am the same person in private that I am in public. That's kind of getting to the genuineness of who you are, the authenticity. Okay, are you a fake person in public? Sometimes Brooke wishes I would be a little bit different in public than I am in private. I say I'm too authentic sometimes. Number two. I am not two-faced or phony in my relationships. What I say and do in their absence would be the same if they were present. Okay? Do you say one thing to someone and then another thing behind their back? Or, Or can you be that same person whether they're present or not? Okay. Zero, one, two, three, or four. Number three, I have a deep and meaningful connection with others in my group. Now, if you don't have a group, if your answer to the original question is no, then you have a zero here, okay? But I have a deep and meaningful connection with others in my group. It should be said that if you join a group today, you're probably not going to have a deep and meaningful connection with the members of that group tomorrow. It does take time to make a deep and meaningful connection with people, okay? So don't stress about that, but you need to be working toward that. Number four, I gather regularly with a group of Christians for community building and accountability. I would say there is purpose behind my gathering regularly with this group. Number five, there is nothing in my relationships that is currently unresolved. Okay, is is there... Uh, that thing, that elephant in the room whenever you get together with some people that you have not resolved? Is there someone that you have not yet forgiven? Is there bitterness in your heart because they've not forgiven you, whatever it is? Um, What is there that is unresolved? Number six, I have an easy time receiving advice, encouragement, and correction from others. That's a hard one for me. Okay, so... Just like in the past weeks, these numbers, as you add them up, this does not mean you're either uh, loved by God or not loved by God. Let's be clear about that, okay? He loves us all, thankfully, um, in spite of who we are and in spite of where our numbers are on these uh, questionnaires here. But just for some uh, brass, go ahead and throw up those scores at the end there just for a, a sense of understanding kind of what we're looking at. If a babe in Christ is maybe a three to six... Childlike follower. This is, uh, if you think of it as a baby growing up into a ad- mature adult, that's kind of what we're looking at here, okay? When we first get to know Jesus, we don't know a whole lot about him, and we don't know a whole lot about how he wants us to live. Hopefully, through our intimacy with him, we get to know him better and learn more about how he wants us to live and we become a childlike person, a teenager-like Christian, an adult-like Christian, and finally a mature adult-like Christian. And it might take us um, probably forever until we finally die and see him face-to-face, but at least we're on the journey. Now, as we are talking about groups today, uh, I was really blessed. You know, the group I had growing up Pretty solid group. It started with just me, mom, and dad in 1977, and soon after, we added Johnny, my brother, and for a while, it was just the four of us, and when I was five, we added Willie to that group, and then when I was 12, we added Clint and Greg to that group, and finally, when I was 16, we added a good-looking girl, finally, and her name was Brooke. Now, there were some other people that came and went from that group, but those are the main people that were in that group for forever and still to this day, And I'll tell you, there is power in being part of a good group, okay? If you've ever been a good group, you know, friends, a team, an office, a a job, a career, whatever it is, there is power to being in a good group. There's accountability just from being in the group, with just showing up. You know, when I was a kid, if the leader of our little group said, we're going to take our bikes and we're going to jump off this ramp over here, we just all did it. We didn't even question it, which is crazy. And a lot of other things that we did were just really ridiculous, but we just did it because we were part of that group. And if you didn't, then you would cease to be part of the group because you had no longer chosen to go the way the group was going, right? So just being in a group, there's accountability. You know, as we got older, the Lord started working in my brother's life before the rest of us, and we would be joking around, doing all the silly, stupid stuff we were doing, and all of a sudden, my brother would speak some sort of truth, you know, scripture. And we would go, oh. I didn't realize that we were, you know, being this serious about this God and, and spiritual things, but apparently, Johnny's going this way, and so the group, we all went that way, we followed. Next thing you know, we're traveling around the country, preaching to the kids and leading worship and, and being on church staffs and all kinds of stuff, having Bible studies in our apartment. We didn't know what we were doing. We were just being a group, and that's what the group was doing, you know, at one point in college, I started teaching a guitar class, uh, guitar lessons, you know, one-on-one, little kids, they want to learn how to play guitar, I'd sit there for 30 minutes and try to show them some things, they'd nod, and, and then they'd go home, and then the next week, they'd come back, and i said, say, you practice? They're like, yeah, yeah, and within 30 seconds, I knew they had not practiced, you know, I said, well, let's do this, they're not even a little bit better than they were last week, I know, I know they didn't practice. Well, so sometimes they would learn guitar. Sometimes they just wouldn't learn guitar. But it's not my fault. I mean, they got to practice. At some point, I started doing guitar class instead of one-on-one lessons. So I had 10 kids. Um, Really, it was just to save my time. You know, I figured, well, if they're going to pay me the same amount for one hour, 10 at a time rather than one-on-one, this makes a lot of sense. But what I found out was they would all sit in these 10 chairs in front of me. And, and we would work on things, play some progressions and learn chords and things. And then, at some point in the lesson, I'd say, all right, your turn. Now, you, 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 you do it. And everybody would watch. You know, the first week, you know, they, their eyes got real big. Oh, and then next person, next person down the line. Guess what? They all practiced. Every week. There's accountability. Accountability of just being in the group. Well, uh, that's kind of what it's like uh, if we are in a group for accountability in our spiritual growth. It's not that we show up to small group on Sundays and we go around the room and confess all of our sins and then we all get mad at each other and say, Well, you shouldn't do that. You should do this. I can't believe you put that on Facebook, you silly, stupid person. No, it's just there's accountability because we're in that group for the purpose of encouraging one another and growing up spiritually and becoming more intimate with God. So let's break down the two words real quick. Um, before we dive into our main passage. Authentic community. Authentic. Um, here we go. This is a definition from dictionary.com. Not false or copied. Genuine, real, representing one's true nature or beliefs, true to oneself or to the person identified. I love what Paul says in Romans 12. He's writing to the church here, and he says, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. You ever been a fake Love person, or you pretended to love people. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. True love cannot be reduced to sentimentalism. You can't just say, I love everybody because they're part of Heritage Community Church. I love everybody because they vote the way I vote. I love everybody in my neighborhood. No, you have to prove and show that your love is genuine for it to be real. It's obvious to those around you whether or not your love for them is genuine. Did you know that? If you think you're fake loving people, they know better. They know better. If you ever fake loved your kids, they wouldn't let you get away with that. I mean, if I, if I lay in bed at night with one of them longer than the other when they call me out on that. You know, well, you must not love me because you spent more time in that bed than in this bed. It's got to be genuine. Ephesians 4, Paul says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, with patience, Bearing with one another in love. That's hard. That means putting up with each other and the faults that they have. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. See, when this happens, when we put up with each other and we maintain the peace, then we can feel safe around each other. Safe enough even to be authentic. Sometimes we're not authentic because we're afraid of how the people around us are treating us. But if we love one another and we act in unity, it's easier to be authentic. Do you find that? Isn't it easier to be authentic and be yourself around certain people easier than it is others? Sure, I hope you're authentic around your spouse. Hopefully they treat you in a safe, loving way that you can be yourself around them. You might not be your complete self the first time you meet somebody or you go on a job interview. We think we pretend like we're someone else to make sure we get the job, right? Some of us. All right, so that's authentic. Next word is community. Here's a definition. Just in case we're not clear on what this is, I love this definition, though. A social, religious, occupational, or other group sharing common characteristics or interests and perceived or perceiving itself, listen to this, as distinct in some respect from the larger society in which it exists. I like that. See, that's, that's, that's a great definition for the church. Having common characteristics, loving the same God, being loved by him, being forgiven of our sin, and yet being distinct in some manner from the, the world around us. Now, some of you, that gets you pumped up in the wrong way. Let me explain what I mean. You go, yeah, that's right. We are going to be different than everyone. And when everyone else believes what we don't believe, we're going to get mad at them and be angry and stick up for God because he can't stick up for himself. And we're going to tell them that that's not what the Bible says and we're going to slap them around with it a little bit to prove that we're right because we're distinctly different. That's not distinctly different. That's what everybody does. Everybody in the world wants justice immediately when someone else doesn't agree with them. That's what everyone does. That's not being distinct. Being distinct is being able to clearly say to the world around you what you believe in a calm manner and then loving everyone who immediately comes against you because you believe that way. That's different from the world. That's distinct. John Stott says this the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought, it is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. For his purpose is not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness, but rather to build his church. That is to call out of the world a people for his own glory. See, we don't become a Christian and then decide to go join some church. No, we become part of the church when we become a Christian. It's our new identity. We are part of the family of God. In Acts 2, Luke records this, "...and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers." those who were being saved, worshiping together, eating together, serving one another, taking care of each other's needs. They were doing these things together as the church because they were God's family. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Sometimes I think we make that verse out to mean Don't ever skip Sunday church. You know, don't make the habit of missing. And that's important. They were clearly meeting together in the temple for a worship service. But they were meeting together regularly throughout the week. Worshiping, sharing meals together, sharing life together, encouraging accountability and growing up spiritually. That's what they were doing. They didn't have a list of things. They didn't even have someone telling them ABC what to do. They didn't even make up cool names like missional community. They just were doing the things that they knew they were supposed to be doing. They were part of the family. It would be crazy if my family lived in four different homes. And then once a week on Sunday evening, we all showed up and we had dinner together. And I said, Ainsley, how's your week been? Brooke, what's been going on in your life? Braxton, how'd the game go yesterday? I wasn't there. And then we all just went our separate ways again. That wouldn't make sense. I would not be a family. Okay, We are baptized in the name of the Father. When we baptize you, when you become a Christian, we say, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When you are baptized in the name of the Father, the word Father implies what? A family. A family. He's a Father, and we're His children. We are now part of His family. Braxton, throw that picture up there with that funny-looking guy. Yeah. This is the prevailing view of life today. This is. An individual standing on his or her own, okay, and bravely juggling all kinds of responsibilities. Family, friendships, career, chores, decisions, money, leisure things, okay. And whenever we get overwhelmed and the pressure of life gets to us, what happens? We, we drop one or more of the things a lot of times, church ends up being one of those things, right? We worked our tail off Monday through Saturday. I just need a rest Sunday, take care of some chores around the house. We job, we job. Tim Chester and Steve Timmis in the book Total Church, they say there's an alternative way to look at this. They say an alternative view, Braxton, throw that other one up there, is to see our various activities and responsibilities as spokes of a will. And at the center is not me as an individual, but us as members of the church. Church is not another thing for me to juggle, but it's what defines who I am and gives Christ-like shape to the rest of my life. Does that make sense? Totally different way of looking at it, isn't it? It's not about being involved in this Bible study or this worship service or this whatever or this conference or that. No, I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. I'm part of his family. And because of that, this is what the rest of my life looks like. I am a Christian in my home. I am a part of God's family when I'm at work. I am a child of God when I'm on the golf course or when I'm coaching this sport or whatever it is I'm doing. This thing in the middle, me being a part of this church family, defines who I am in all the other aspects of my life. Okay, are you with me? So let me ask you, do you think this idea of community... the the family of God, or, or the church, capital C, and how we treat each other is important to God? That's a question. Okay. Do you think the Bible has anything to say about it? I'm going to read through these really quickly. John 13. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. If Jesus, the king of our kingdom... If he serves people, then we ought to serve one another. John 13 again, verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, you also love one another. Love each other the way Jesus loves us, which, by the way, was um, pretty high standard. Romans 14, So then we, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Romans 15, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. Romans 15, again, therefore accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Can you imagine not accepting a family member? Can you imagine? I love I telling the story of when Braxton was born. Okay, Ainsley, how old was Ainsley? 18 months? 21 months? Not yet Two. And when we got Braxton all settled in in the car seat, you know, on the way home from the hospital, and she got in her car seat, his was facing the wrong way, you know, because you have to do that for protection. And so she's looking at him and they held hands all the way home from the hospital and Ainsley talked to him and explained the rules of the house. You know, she said, Bra-, she said Braxton, I want you to know the number one rule in daddy's house is that there is no whining, okay? And, and I was thinking, <laughs> 21 months, and, and I've done a good job of teaching this. She, she immediately accepted this new family member. She had only known him a handful of hours. Can you imagine if Ainsley would have said, I do not accept this new family member. He's weird looking. He does not talk to me in the way I would like for him to talk to me when I talk to him. And he doesn't really pull his weight around here. You know? Can you imagine? But those are the exact three, some of the reasons that we sometimes don't accept people In the church family. They look weird. They don't talk to us the way we want them to talk to us. And they don't pull their weight. And so we don't accept them as part of God's family. (laughs) I feel like we should take these cameras and make them face everybody. So you could have saw the looks on Facebook that I saw. Galatians 5. Let us not become boastful and challenging one another. Envying one another. No. Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens, thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Ephesians 4, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Ephesians 4, again, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Philippians 2, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. When was the last time you considered all the people just in this room more important important than you, much less everyone in God's family in the world, more important than yourself. Key passage. John 17, this is what we would call the high priestly prayer. This is Jesus praying to his father right before he would go to be crucified. And he's praying about all kinds of things. We're going to start at verse 20, okay? So in your word, jump down to verse 20. Let's see what Jesus is saying to his father. John 17, 20 says, I do not ask for these only. He's been praying for his disciples, okay, the the main guys that he's been walking with for the last three years. But now he says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's praying for future Christians. He's praying for you and me right here in John 17. You ever think Jesus prayed for you? He's praying right here. that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Did you hear a word that was, I kind of made it obvious. What was that word? One. This word is the same word that Jesus uses in Mark chapter 10. Okay, you might remember this story. Some Pharisees show up and they want to test Jesus. They did that from time to time. They didn't understand what he was doing. And this time it was over the topic of divorce. Okay? And they were like, hey, how about divorce? And Jesus said, well, what's the law say? What's Moses say? And they go, Moses said we can give certificates of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said, well, you only said that because you had hard hearts and you didn't want to do things God's way. Then Jesus says this in verse 6 of Mark 10, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. Now, let's not get confused. Jesus does not want you to marry everyone in our church, okay? We're not going to do that kind of thing. But what he's saying is, as a church, as God's family, you should be one just as husband and wife are one unit, that we should be unified in our thinking. He wants us to be one church, How? That's a good question. How? What unites us from being individuals to being one? I'm going to give you three things today. Jesus wants us to be one family, following one God, with one mission. Okay? You can write those down in your notes if they're not there. Jesus wants us to be one family, following one God, with one mission. In Romans 12, 5, Paul says this. I love, it says, the NLT version says it the best. It says, so it is with Christ's body, we are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. So it is with Christ's body that we are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. We do not belong to ourselves. We belong to the body of Christ, the church. We forget that Sometimes. When I, when I uh, administer a wedding, officiate a wedding. Officiate is such a weird word when you're talking about a wedding. You know, it sounds like you're like the official at a game. You're like, anyways, that's what they call it. When I do a wedding, I say that to, to the couple. You know, you're no longer yours. You are hers and she is yours. And, and, you know, we talk about that in premarital counseling. You know, you don't get to say this is my money and that's her money or this is my body, that's his body. No, you are his and she is yours and all that is now one. And I'm trying to get this point across to them. And this is the word that Jesus is using for the church being unified, that we would be one. He wants us to be united, not divided. We're one family. You know, in your family, you don't throw birthday parties for some of your kids and not the others. Do you? (laughs) Three of you don't eat at one dinner table while the other three eat at another dinner table. You got one dinner table. You don't go looking around for dinner tables, you know, you don't got dining rooms. Well, some of y'all, y'all got got big houses, I guess. But you probably got a small one and a big one, you know, for your immediate family and your extended family. But you don't send, unless the kid's in trouble, you know, and you say, go eat in your room or something. But for the most part, we're, we're one family. In the church, we're one family. United, not divided. He wants us to be one family. Treating each other like we're all part of that family. There are no outcasts in my family with Brooke and Ainsley and Braxton. If there was an outcast in my family of four at this age and point in their life where they're not allowed to do anything unless I tell them they can do it, I would be a bad father if there was an outcast already in my family. There should be no outcast in God's family, okay? He wants us to be one family following one God. Now, following one God, you would think that this would be an obvious fact. But in fact, this is one of the main things that keeps us divided rather than united. And you're probably asking, well, why is that? Let me explain. The answer is because we can't agree on what God we're following. When we define God by our own terms rather than his terms, we all end up following different gods. God's. And a God that you make up in your mind to fit your needs and the way you think the world should go and the way you think the God should be, the God of the things, is not a God at all. Isaiah 45, 5 says this. In the message, it says it very clear I am God, the only God there is. Besides me, there are no real gods. So, what God are we supposed to be following? The God of the Bible. The God of the Bible. That's why I'm always telling you, you got to know the Bible. you got to read it. This is the book where God has taught us who he is. This is it. It's not some other book by C.S. Lewis or, or who's a cool author? Tim Keller. That Great guys. Great guys. But God didn't tell them to write their book. God wrote this book. This is how he wants you to know him. So if your view of God is in any way in contrast to what his word says about him, then, then you're not even really following the one true God. You're no different than Thomas Jefferson. You know, you know Thomas Jefferson wrote his own Bible. Did y'all know that? He, he literally cut out parts of the Bible he didn't like in the Gospels and made his own Bible. Google it, Thomas Jefferson Bible. I think he did two of them. Made up his own scriptures. You don't get to do that. God is who he says he is. God is not who you say he is. God is who he says he is. That was why it was such a big deal for Jesus to ask his disciples, well, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? It was important for him that his disciples knew who he was. It's important to God that we know who he is. That's why he told us who he is in his word. Jesus wants us to be one family following one God with one mission. This is where we finish up our time. The question is, why do all of this? Because it is a lot more work to live in unity together, even in a small church, just our church, much less being in unity with the whole worldwide universal church, capital C. What's the purpose? What's the mission? Let's go back to our main passage, John 17. This time I want you to listen for, for something that he says a couple of times that is different than just being one. Verse 20, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Why? So that the world may believe. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. The mission is that the world will know. See, we, the only way that they'll know is when they see the church unified as one. Jesus is saying, God, let them be one. Let them be one. Let them be one so that the world will know, so that the world will believe in me. John 13, 35 says it very clearly. He says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples. If what? If you have love one for another. We outwardly love each other in groups in front of the world, not to make us feel good about ourselves. You don't go to a small group just because you love being around all the other Christians and and they make you feel good because you don't feel so stupid because the people at your work aren't Christians and they think you're stupid for being a Christian. No, you go around and you take your small group out into the world and love each other in front of everyone so that the world will know that you are a disciple of Jesus. Colt's not here, right? Colt's my friend. He's a basketball coach. He sends me this stuff at the beginning of the year. I love it. He's got a mission statement for his basketball team. Good coach would have that. He's got goals, things that they want to accomplish. If you're you're an employer, you probably have some sort of a mission statement, some goals, right? Some things you want to accomplish in your company. Okay, maybe your family's even done that. A handful of years ago, we walked through the the gospel family book, and we all made gospel family mission statements. Remember that? For our families, goals, things we want to accomplish. Can you imagine if someone wanted to be on the basketball team or in your company or in your family, and they wanted to be part of it, but they wanted to have nothing to do with helping you contribute to accomplishing those goals? Like they really want a letter jacket, but they don't want to work toward... You know, accomplishing the goals. They don't want to help contribute to our purposes. But how many people have I met who want to be part of the church, but they don't want to have anything to do with contributing to the mission? You don't get to be part of the family unless you're getting to be part of the mission. Jesus wants us to be one, one family, following one God with one mission. Christians living this individual, consumeristic lives is not attractive to the world. They don't know you're getting up early to spend time in God's Word. They don't know that. If you don't talk to them at work, they just think you're some weirdo. They don't contribute toward the mission of making God known throughout the world. The world already has that. They they already live these individualistic lives. But they're searching for what they don't have. And it's our job to show it to them. And we do this by loving one another and showing them together what it is that they're missing. One family following one God with one mission. God's mission from page one of the Bible is to make his name known among the whole world among the nations that as many as possible will come to know him. God isn't up there just going heaven hell, heaven hell. He everyone's on their way to hell. God's up there going I want to save as many people as will come to me. And he's chosen us, his church to be the ones that get that word out to the world. Well, that takes effort. That's our mission. That's our purpose. For being a part of this family. So back to the original question. Authentic community. Am I in a small group for accountability. Encouragement and spiritual growth. Unfortunately when we started this church. was great. 30 something of us in the band room. At Wildwood Middle School. Right. Wonderful. Beef O'Brady's afterwards for dinner. The whole, people, whole church could go. Obviously that's not happening. This is a low Sunday. And there's no way we're getting in at Beef O'Brady's. Okay? Spiritual growth happens best in smaller environments where you can be authentic with one another. It's easy to come in here on Sunday morning, sneak in, sneak out, not even say hey to anybody. It's easy to come in here on Sunday morning and not have to answer any questions or share with anyone about how uh, you're doing in your spiritual growth, what God's teaching you as you study His Word and what He wants you to make little changes in your life to get you from where you are to where He wants you to be. So when we get together in a small group, yes, we're studying God's word together. We're sh- share, sharing this truth. We're speaking it to each other. But then we also take the time. We can't do that on here every Sunday When We take the time and say, well, hey, this is what I was reading this week, and here's a question I got about it. And then this is what I wrote down in my journal about what God, I feel like, is teaching me, and this is the step he wants me to take this next week. Uh, here's what I'm struggling with this week. Here's the thing that's been uh, really heavy on my heart, and I've been praying, I was hoping you guys would pray with me. These are being a part of a group for the purpose of accountability, encouragement, and spiritual growth. And when you're not a part of one of those things, you miss out on that. I'm sorry, you just do. Now, I don't even really care what kind of group you're in, okay? I, I, I think that it's best to be a part of something that is, is part of this church family, because you're already part of the church family, so why wouldn't you not be in a smaller group that's part of this church family? I don't know why you wouldn't, but whatever. As long as you're in some sort of group for growing spiritually, sharing life together and serving the world, encouragement, accountability and growing. It happens in these smaller environments. Now we have created some things called missional communities. They meet in homes, they meet here at the church house at different times throughout the week. We study God's Word. Right now, we're studying through the whole Bible. We started at Genesis in September, and this week, we're just now getting to Exodus. I mean, we are studying the Bible. But it's been great. They eat together. We take care of each other's kids. We play together. It's, it's wonderful. It's a purpose. We serve together, whatever it is. We've also created some things that are called Bible studies, because it's just a Bible study for men and Bible study for women, Wednesday mornings, Wednesday nights, Wednesday nights we got these smaller, even more intensive discipleship groups going on. We're maybe two or three or four people that are studying God's word and trying to grow spiritually. Just get in a group. I mean, we're trying to do whatever we can to make it possible for you to be with a group of people, smaller than this group, for a purpose. One family following one God with one mission. Are you with me? If you can't answer yes to that question of the core value authentic community, am I in a small group for these purposes? My question would be, why do you want to be a part of a church that says that's one of our core values? If you're scared, I understand that. And I would say find a small group with someone who's not so scary. You know, I mean, Sid's not very scary. You know, Kevin Burke's not that scary. You know, find someone that doesn't look scared to you and go, I could probably be in a small group with him. I could be in a small group with her. If you're afraid that if you're in a small group, someone might ask you to confess your deepest, darkest secrets. If that ever happens, just please come and tell me so I can find out that that's actually going on. Because I've never been asked to, to just do something like that. Because remember, I told you earlier, it takes time to become really close and intimate with people. I seriously doubt the first time you visit a small group that they're going to put you on the spot like that, okay? But allowing yourself to be open to other people is a really great way to grow, a really great way to make relationships, make friends, and to be part of something that's bigger than just yourself. I think one of the things that happened was we really, back, I don't know, decades ago, started pushing really hard on these individual devotionals. Let me just say, first of all, before I say this, getting up early in the morning and spending time in God's Word and in prayer is the first thing I do every day. I don't care if I'm on vacation, I don't care if it's Sunday, it doesn't matter. You don't take days off from your relationship with the Lord. But your relationship with the Lord isn't supposed to just be individualistic. You do that first thing in the morning so that as you live out your Christian life amongst God's family, you're able to do it in a way that makes sense because you're united together through God's word and what he's teaching us. Does that make sense? You don't do it just so that you can just get through life to make, finally meet Jesus. I've heard many people say, well, that's between me and my God. What does that even mean? Me and my God? Well, your God is everyone's God because God said there's only one God. So he's the God of everybody. It's not like you got a God that likes for you to do certain things and I got a God that likes for me to do totally different things. That doesn't even make sense. What kind of God would that be? There's one God and he wants us to be part of his family. He's God the Father. We're his children. Braxton can't come home and go, I still want to be part of the family, but I don't want Ainsley to be my sister. No, you think that's funny. But we say that, I want to be part of God's family, but I don't want to have anything to do with this person. Same thing, God the Father, that breaks his heart. Be a part of a group. Am I part of a group, a small group, for accountability, encouragement, spiritual growth? This week, if you're not part of one of those groups, I want you to do a couple of things. Either one, just go to the website, okay? Groups are listed there, phone numbers, emails, whatever. Find somebody. You can call me, I can help you find a group. Or maybe you know of a couple of people who don't have a group. And you go to them and you go, Hey, you don't got a group, I don't got a group, let's make a group. And then you come to me together as a group and I'll give you some books to study if you want. I can give you some ideas of, of ways that you can eat dinner together. Cool places to go camping for the weekend. Ideas of things you could do as a group to serve in front of the world so that they can see you loving one another and do the mission. I can give you all kinds of ideas, but my ideas and me sitting up here talking will do no good at all if you're not doing these groups, okay? Some of them will join groups this week. We keep saying it, keep saying it, keep saying it. Be in his word, be in his word. Know this God. He's our father. We're one family. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Most of all, thank you for forgiveness, for grace, for mercy that you love us in forgiveness in spite of who we are. I'm glad that we serve an almighty God who is God above all things and isn't thrown off by, by our uh, inconsistencies. I'm glad that you don't need my help in running the world. I'm thankful that I can call myself a child of God. I'm thankful for this church family. Father, in your word, you say that you build your church. I'm convinced that everyone in this room is here because you've placed them there. Help us to love our family, accept our family, bear with our family, forgive our family. I pray that it would be obvious to those around us in this community that the people of Heritage Community Church are united. Not because we all look the same or act the same or think the same, but because we all have the same daddy. And you've made us a family. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for the cross. Amen.